before I start this morning. Some of you might have noticed the Corsair colors. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Cuesta, or Cuesta, Redwood uh, College, Redwood College of the Redwoods, CR, has uh, won their game uh, Friday night. And so as a result, they're playing the number one seeded city college or junior college uh, in San Francisco next Friday night. Uh, so, or Saturday, excuse me. And so, uh, just uh, what I was actually wanting you to do is to keep them in prayer and they're traveling and stuff like that because my grandson is in the middle of that. So, I appreciate that. I just needed to brag a little bit. <laughs> Although he had one of his lower nights, he only had 19 points. So. <laughs> This morning, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and as we go there, uh, last week, uh, BJ used number 1, eight, uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, to uh, be the conclusion of his message and to tie his message together, as it will open our message this morning, uh, and the 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 basic theme that B.J. used to tie it up with was in order to live a good and better life, you need the perfect wisdom of God working in your life. Uh, and he also brought out, I thought, an important point. Uh, beware. Don't be deceived by the world. And he referred to a scripture in Colossians chapter 2. I'd like to share that one more time. Uh, with you this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, this is Paul writing, and for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with the plausible arguments that though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. What we're dealing with is the reality that there is a wisdom that comes from from God through Jesus Christ, our Scriptures, and, and through the, the Holy Spirit in us. And, and we, as we look at that, we want to understand that there's a whole world out there who looks at Christianity and wants to do everything it can to turn it around in some way, throw a, a monkey wrench in there somewhere. Uh, and, and so we look at this and we say, no, the, the idea of wisdom is that, that Jesus Christ is, the, is our wisdom. The Scriptures reveal who He is. And as we come to Him, 
through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, as we read Scripture, we begin to understand what the real purpose of man is. What is the purpose of man? There's a few of you that are familiar with some of the confessions. What, who, what is the purpose of man? Okay, to, to, it's right on target. To glorify God and to enjoy Him, enjoy him forever. To worship Him. And, and He has provided a way to draw us into His presence. We have a dilemma. We can't enter into His presence because He is holy. And in order to enter His presence, you must be holy. We must be holy as He is holy. But because we have sinned, and it doesn't matter what kind of sin or how serious a sin, because we have sinned and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we can't get there. And so God has provided a way through Jesus Christ. He came, and we've sung it through our songs this morning, and that is the wisdom of God coming through to us. And so we have this picture uh, coming out of, out of Ecclesiastes about the wisdom of God as well. Uh, who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face to shine, and the, high, and the hardness of his face is changed. And there's two ways. It's interesting. Some people look at this in a negative way, and others in a positive way. I tend to look at it as from the positive side, that the idea of, of, of a person who is, is wise in Christ, who is wise in knowing who God is, uh, you know, he knows the interpretation, uh, and, and who knows the interpretation of a thing, he comes to the Scripture to find out the truth. And it says, man's wisdom makes his face shine. Now, man's wisdom, is that man's wisdom meaning without God or man's wisdom with God? And that's the question mark for some people. And, and they say, well, it makes his face to shine and his hardness of his face is changed. To me, those two pictures draw into something that says he's changed. And so I see this as God's wisdom. And someone will say, is that actually someone would, would physically change as he becomes a Christian? Can there actually be a, 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 a transformation physically and not just emotionally or mentally or spiritually? And my answer to that is yes. And the interesting thing for me is... I had, a, uh, had to deal with this idea of a man's changing and, and, and how far God will reach into the, the sense of what is evil and draw someone and pull them out and set them on the rock. I think of the, the idea of, of, of being in a pit of miry clay, Psalm 40, and, and waiting on the Lord, and, 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 and it says God reaches down and pulls us out and sets us on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Okay? And it's, and, and it's God pulling, it's God drawing, it's God in, in bringing the person to Him. And there is a person, and this happened in 1975. I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I was living in the area where this happened. I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, the penal system in the state of California, but there is a uh, maximum security prison, uh, it's got a section of maximum security, in Morro Bay, uh, between Morro Bay and San Luis Obispo, called the Men's Colony. And in that prison was a particular inmate who had committed a terrible, heinous crime. His name was Tex Watson. Some of you will remember Charles Tex Watson. Uh, he was involved in the Sharon Tate murders and the following murders the next night. 
And he, you're talking about something totally depraved. There's just no way of, of, else of explaining the type of person that he was. Convicted, in prison, all of a sudden he's accepted Jesus Christ. And being the cynical person I was towards Christianity at the time, I said, yeah, right. You know, anything to, to look good and hope for a parole. By the way, he, you know, he's actually did the sentencing. He actually did, he's been up for parole, I think it's 16 or 17 times now. But he, because of the heinous of the crime, he, he, they, they don't give it. And he is not pursuing it in that context. But he had accepted the Lord. And I'm thinking, oh, how can that be? Well, I became a Christian about a year later. And the church that I became a part of had a guard who happened to be in the, the cell block that, that Watson was in. And he said when he came in the next day, to see him, you know, he looked at him and said, what is, what's happened? Instead of being all gaunt and drawn in, he, his face was full. Uh, totally different demeanor. And I thought, isn't it amazing? Because I'm now a new Christian and seeing what God is doing in my life. Isn't it amazing what God can do and where He can reach and that there is nothing that He can't undo in the sense of forgiveness? doesn't matter how bad the crime. And there's sometimes there's, you know, people will see injustice in that in one sense. But you see the other side of it is the power of God's grace, His mercy, His kindness. I just had to share that with you because that, that, I see that in this verse is that it changes your continence. It changes uh, who you are. And it can go into the physical realm and has many, many times for people. As we look at, at this idea of God's perfect wisdom and, and where B.J. left off last week, we look at it and get into verse 2. It says, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the, the wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything through man's trouble, uh, though man's, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. By the way, you, you pick up there, for there is a time and a way for everything. That should ring a bell to you. It should take you immediately back to chapter 3. And, and when you look at that, you, you, you read through that and you realize that, you know, we, we think of, of the things, you know, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear uh, a time to, uh, to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. God in His sovereignty has a perfect laid out plan. 
This is again hard for me. Because I have been taught all my life uh, via my education, being my, my uh, Master Sergeant dad uh, from the Marines, uh, retired from the Marines uh, after a full career in the, in the, in the United States Marine Corps, uh, of this idea of a fierce independence. And to think in terms that, that God ha- has seen the beginning from the end uh, is, 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 and sees the end from the beginning uh, is, is mind-boggling. And so there is a time for all these things and God has put it into order. He has a plan that was put together before the foundation of the world according to Ephesians. And so we have this, this, this picture of, of God and, and, he's, and, and, and who He is. And so He gives us a direction of how to go and where to go and what to do to be the people of His kingdom. We are passers through. You understand that. We are pilgrims in this world. We are passing through. We have a different set of of morals, if you will, a different set of of way of looking at things than the rest of the world. And ours is based in Scripture. And God says that it is uh, is from Him. These are the words of God. Uh, Paul says uh, through Timothy, he says, these are God-breathed words. So that when we read them, when we hear them, when we uh, share them together, when we use them to build up each other, we are using God's wisdom, God's Word. And we come to Him and we realize another thing, by the way, is that it's something that we'll never master in the physical lifetime. We will always be growing in understanding who God is. And somebody says, well, isn't there a time where we reach a plateau? Well, there's some people that reach a plateau. But it's not because that was God-ordained. It's because they think they've, they've got it down now. They've heard enough of the sermons and enough of this that they, they've really got it figured out. And they find themselves resting more in traditions and other things than they do really in God's Word. And the end result is, is that they, they, they stop growing. That is something that God says we should never do. We should be constantly growing in the Lord. I don't care if you've been a Christian five years or 50 years, uh, you know, to grow in the Lord is what we are called to do. And it's to be a constant thing. So, here's this picture as we are to look through these words. Is there anything that we need to grow in? And one of the things that says, keep the king's commands. And basically what I'm going to look at here is, is we are told to obey the civil authorities. This is a, a scratch point to that, but we are, this is something we are told to do. And and to you know it includes obeying like I said you know civil authorities it, it that to have this perfect wisdom of God growing in us and and leading us includes this obeying civil authorities. Uh, verse three and four says cautious in challenging the king's authority or the civil authority. Uh, when you have obedience, uh, it helps us to avoid the evil thing. By the way, evil thing is punishment. That's actually what, what the, the, the word would be translated as. Uh, if if uh, change is in order, uh, we need a wise heart and we'll know the proper time to do it. In other words, sometimes there's, there's, there are changes to be made, but we do it in concert with what the civil government... We don't rebel. 
Okay? If we don't go off on a tangent on our own and just say, I don't agree with that, that law, so I'm going to ignore it. And it could even be a law that, that needs to be changed. <laughs> but we need, there's a process that's put in place as to how to go about that. And if it's something that we can't deal with, and, and, and we can't, then we are to abide by it. And uh, it's just, uh, like I said in verse 6, it says, a time away of everything, uh, and uh, for everything there is a, a season. Uh, it says in verses 7 and 8 that what man doesn't know, God does, but what man doesn't know, even though we seek his wisdom, is we don't know the future. There isn't one of us that knows the day of our death. Now, someone say, well, a person who, who commits suicide, they're not even in charge of their death there. Paul, just this idea of being obedient to authority is to understand God knows all these things. He knows what is best. So we come to Him and we say, okay, what does it mean to be in God's grace and, and, and a part of His kingdom? It means to be good citizens. Paul says in Romans chapter 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers, have not a, 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 for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for, you, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to the, to the ones that uh, deserve the honor. And I look at that, and I've watched over the years. We we get uh, well, like I said, we're a very fiercely independent people. We're also a very opinionated people, individually and within our groups. And you know, I I, I can I've seen a variety of well, we'll use the uh, presidential office for for an example. I've seen a variety of different men in the presidential the president since I've been a Christian, and I've had people tell me, "Well, I w- I wouldn't stand up if he walked in the room." But the Bible says God allowed that person to be put into authority. I may not agree with the person, but I still respect the office, and that is I am responsible to 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 be that way. I don't have to agree with everything the person says politically, but I still need to respect the person in the office. 
By the way, how many of you have been in a courtroom ever? And the judge walks in. What do you do? You all rise. Now, there's a bailiff in here, so I don't know if I can ask him this, and I don't know. But if somebody doesn't rise, can they be held in contempt? Not, not anymore. <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's a standard procedure of recognizing of authority. What if it's a judge I don't agree with? He's got a political stand or something, or he's, or he's, he's noted for being easy or tough or whatever. You know, it's, it's, the right respect is that he all rise. When he come, and, and, and I respect him. I guess what I'm trying to get at is, is that Paul says very clearly, there is no other authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. God has allowed them to be in the position they're in. And as a result, we are to respect our, those that have authority. Now, it says very clearly here, for, you know, uh, there, you know, if, if, if you have an authority and he says that we shouldn't do this, we should be obedient to it. Is it possible that there's exceptions to that? Yes. And the Bible gives us an opportunity to look at those things. Exceptions. Uh, to that would be uh, a, a well. Let's. Think, I, I think we just go to Acts chapter four. I don't think we can get any more, cl- you know, clearer picture than looking at those who are the disciples, who are founders of the the church at its base. Acts chapter four, starting with verse one. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with uh, Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were all the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a cripple, by the way, this has to do with healing a man in in chapter 3, to a crippled man, by, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no, other, uh, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven Given among which, uh, by which men, excuse me, by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, two things there. One is just to be recognized that they had been with Jesus is is amazing. You know, that's they said yes, these are followers of him, but. It also says they were uneducated common men. I have heard some terrible teaching on this over the years. 
They weren't illiterate. They knew Scripture. They could read Scripture. They were comparable. You know, they could talk. They, they, you know, they weren't just some, uh, you know, backwoods person or, or you know, this type of thing. They, they were educated within the framework of the of the Hebrew culture, which means at a very early age, in, in, you know, five years old, they started being trained at the synagogues. And so you have to understand when the scripture is saying that they were uneducated, it means they didn't sit under the feet of of some famous teacher, and and therefore, you know, and so in a sense they're noting this is because there seemed to be an eloquent way of of presenting themselves. How could they be this way? Why uh, are they so able to speak under under such pressure? Because they what? They've been with Jesus. Okay, I just I, I, there's a boldness that came with that, and they recognized that he had been they had been to Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they they conferred with one another, saying, "What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it." But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in His name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. You see, they understand the idea of of respect and, 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 and authority. But they said there's a higher authority than you that has told us what we are to do. For we cannot but speak what we have been have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And the implication was he'd been lame all his life. So when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and, and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. He's still in charge. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Somebody says, wait a minute, isn't that Acts chapter 2? No, it's Acts chapter 4. They continued to speak. What I'm suggesting to you here is that there is a time where Christians are called to step against the civil authorities 
if the civil authorities are coming against Christ. We have a higher calling. That's why I mentioned earlier, we are sojourners passing through. We, aren't, we are, are, are people of the kingdom of God. We are His children. We are just passing through this world. We have a higher authority. Now, who decides all of this is, is difficult as to you know, how to jump on this, but each of us are responsible before the throne of God as to how we act according to Scripture and, and the opportunities that are put before us. It was clear Jesus mandated, I want you to start in Jerusalem, I want you to go uh, to Judea, to the outer parts of, of the kingdom here, and then to the outer parts of the world to spread what? The gospel, the good news, Jesus Christ. Direct commandment. So, we have to look at this and say, there is an authority that trumps the civil authority. And that's the Word of God and what it tells us to do. In Acts chapter 5, as they continued the many signs and wonders that they were, they were doing, uh, they run into this again. Uh, the apostles are arrested and, 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 and freed again. And the question comes just starting with verse 27 as to, again, this, this understanding. When they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intended to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the council, Men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. Far before these days, and he goes on talking about the history of this, and he says, So they took his advice down at verse 40, and when they had called on in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple from the house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. There is a time... Scripture says where a civil authority is trumped by God's authority. And I believe God makes it clear in those things. And if we will pray, He will let us know. And the thing is, is it's interesting how the Christians handled this. I want to look at, 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 at Paul for a minute. Paul did demand his rights as a citizen of Rome, which was to be able to be heard by Caesar. And he demanded that. Also, when he you know, was struck, he says, you can't strike a citizen of Rome. 
without without having a trial and and everything else that goes with that ahead of time. And so he he never hesitated to call on his civil rights. But you don't see him trying to escape, dragging his feet. It's an interesting thing that the Christians at the time that this was happening and up through the next few centuries actually, that when they were arrested, even though they were arrested for preaching God when they were told not to, this type of thing, they went by the way of the law and, and, and allowed themselves to be subject to various ways of, 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 of death sentences. They did not rebel against that. And it's, it's, as Christians today, we look at this. If, if you're in a country, and there are places to this, in, uh, today in our, uh, in our world that to preach the gospel is just as serious as it's been, it's, it could carry with it the death sentence. And those people, when they are arrested, they don't fight. They don't, you know, you know they, they just claim who they are, what is going on, and many of them go to their death. And it's a kind of an, a thing as we look at this, you know, it, it runs again and kind of difficult for us to understand and to, uh, to, to grab a hold of. But God in His sovereignty allows us to be in a world where, you know, my thing would be, God, why didn't you just pull me out as soon as I said yes? But He's left us here. Why? What is our purpose? Exactly what Jesus said in the Great Commission. To go out and to share, to live the Gospel in every way that we can. What's the most important thing we have to do? It isn't to get the best job we can get. It isn't to get the best education. Although there's nothing wrong with those things. It's the idea is that we are to live a life that desires to serve Christ wherever we are. Could there be consequences of doing that? Yeah. Have any of you ever been told that you, uh, uh, are, you know, you're at a workplace or something like that, you can't share the Gospel at the workplace? Okay, but you're out to lunch with a friend and, 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 you know, from the workplace and you share the Gospel. And interestingly enough, sometimes the supervisor will come back to you and say, you know, we don't do that. Well, that's our time. That's our free time. We're allowed to use our time. I know people that have been fired for those reasons. They didn't run over to the civil rights place and, and you know this type of thing. They just quietly took it and went about finding their work. They, if they were allowed through a union or other things to file a grievance, they might have done that, which is within their rights and this type of thing. But what I'm getting at is, is that it, how important is it to you that these things that we, we see here to be ready to put it on the line like the apostles did and literally millions of Christians since then. We are, we are so blessed with a, bold, a freedom to be bold and have a civil authority that doesn't come against it. And yet we tend to be so meek and so quiet. I want to suggest to you 
that we have an opportunity. And they say, well, yeah, but you're a, you're a pastor. You're supposed to do that. We're all called to share the gospel. We're all called to be Christ wherever we go. And in whatever way we can to share the gospel message, the grace, the mercy, and the love of Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage you to take that step. If, you, if, if it's something that's difficult for you, come along with someone else in the sense of getting a prayer partner to pray that, that God will put a willingness into you and an observation, the ability to see the opportunity. I, uh, you know, I shared with you, the people ask me why I have this little beaded bracelet. You know, most people will think it's because I, I came out of the hippie age, which is true. But this is called the, uh, it's a copy of what's called the wordless book. And the wordless book is a set of pages of color. And I, I've been in the grocery store. I've been at different places. Uh, somebody will say, does that mean anything? Or does it have, you know, what's the significance of that? Or uh, I remember one person just asking, you know, because my hair is a little bit longer. I have a beard and I was doing this. Are you still rebelling from the 70s? <laughs> I said, are you interested? Yeah. Well, yellow bees represents the streets of gold in heaven. We all want to go to heaven if there is a heaven. See, that used to be my thing, by the way. I would say, if there is a heaven, surely I want to go. And I figured I wasn't the worst person out there, so I had as good a chance as anybody. Didn't have any idea that it had to be through Jesus Christ. But I have a dilemma. I have sin in my life. The black bead represents sin in my life. And as a result, I can't go to heaven. I'm in a dilemma. But God, before the foundation of the world, had a plan to deliver me from my dilemma. The blood of Christ, the red bead. And as a result, when I accept Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ covers my life, I'm now seen white instead of black in sin. I have white as holiness or purity. And then the green bead, by the way, is with the opportunity to grow in Christ. For all my life. There's no time where the green bead comes off. It's part of the whole picture. Okay. Somebody say, well, that, you know, that works for you. That's fine. You know, uh, what I'm saying is just that anytime we, anything we can do that creates an opportunity to share the gospel. I've had friends that, that have uh, more than once put their job on the line. Uh, because in their free time and their, their off time and, and, and stuff like that, where their supervisors didn't like the fact that they were bold in Christ. And uh, I will share with you, I got fired once for that. And uh, happened to have a good track record with the company I was working for. And when the manager that fired me got caught with his hand in the till, he got fired. And the boss was going over the books and he said, what happened to this guy? Where is he? Oh, he's working over at the paint store now. He said, well, he's got a good track record of, of sales for this company. Why, why would he do that? And I, he turned around and offered me my job back. What was interesting 
was that he was a believer. He didn't even know that I was. He just, you know, he didn't know why I'd been fired. And then I showed him my spray booth that I'd had there at the, at the shop there. I did the spray work as well as, as uh, sales. And uh, for people as a, a, an intent to be an insult, I, I had a weekend ministry. I was gone on the weekends. Uh, I'd come back and, and they put a cross on my spray booth, up above my spray booth. And said, There's Bob's holy ground. And, uh, you know, as much as is possible, we should be known for that. Shouldn't shouldn't have anything to do with with whether you're a pastor or an elder or a deacon in a church. It should have to do with the fact that Jesus Christ has saved you. You're part of the kingdom of God and you want to open that door for somebody else. And so I want to encourage you. Yeah, we're to be yielding to the civil authority and we're to be respectful. And and absolutely, I want to encourage you with that. Uh, I get very frustrated when I when I hear people speak disrespectfully of of, of, of leadership and this type of thing. Uh, I have my opinions, but 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 if we want to get into a discussion about it, that's one thing. But just to 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 be adamant about my position is another. And and so understand that as a godly person, a man of God, as a woman of God, as a, as a child of God. We are kingdom children, children of God first in all things. By the way, I'm going to tell you, gentlemen, it will make you a better husband, better father, a better grandfather. Women, it will make you a better sister, mother, grandmother. Make you a better employee. Because Scripture gives us a thing about being an employee. You do the best job you can, not because you're doing it for your employer, but because you're wanting to glorify God in who you are. And so you do the best work you possibly can in anything that you do. And so I I need to be the best worker that I can. Not because I I, I want to get a pay raise or any of the things that might come with that, but because God has asked me to do that through His Word. That's the other thing I want to leave with this. This growing in God, understanding Him, is through His Word. You're doing that this morning as we come together to preach and to teach and, and this type of thing. You do it when you come to Bible studies and this type of thing. But I want so to encourage you, if you don't have a personal growth plan to where you are growing in the Word by studying it on your own or with a friend or, or something like that, I want to encourage you to consider adding that to your life. And letting the Word be a daily part of your life in such a way that you can grow in the Lord. So, as we look at Ecclesiastes, I know that that's what wasn't what they were driving for, but when it comes through to us and we look back at it, we see how God can use the Scripture to open our mind to what He wants us to be. Yes, respect civil authority. Yes, respect the, the king or the authority that's over us. But at the same time, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. Elevate God to the position of worship and sovereign over your life. So, we recognize, as I read here in Scripture, it says the Christ who you hung on the tree, that's how 
this problem of our dilemma of, of, of sin was solved. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and even to the point of death on the cross. So that we could become the children of God. And as a result of what Christ has done for us, Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation. There is no judgment against those who are in Christ Jesus. Do we deserve the judgment? Yes. But through Jesus Christ, He took it. He took what we deserve. I often hear people say, I deserve, and, I, and then they go on about something I tell people, be careful. <laughs> Do you really want what you deserve? Uh, and and uh, the, the answer is it's absolutely not. Um, but this idea of, of resting in Christ, what He's done. And so we come to the communion. And people say, why do you have communion every Sunday? It's because it's such an intricate part of who we are. It's what God has done for us. We want to celebrate it as often as we come together. By the way, that was a pattern of the church, the early church. As often as they came together, they broke bread. Some people say, oh, that was a meal or a dinner. It's a, breaking bread is a symbolic picture of sharing communion, breaking the bread and sharing the cup. And so that's what we do every Sunday that we come together. And so I'll ask the ushers to come, the musicians to come back and worship team and, and pass the emblems out, hold them until we've all been served and we'll share it together.